Hi, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, the king of co-op, Steve Kingsley, and his special guest are going to review a game for you and have a related discussion. And without further ado, here's Steve! Welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop. Steve here with Colin. Hey, Steve. Hey, Colin. It's been a while since we've been on the podcast together. Yeah, I, I think it's been before I had my third child, really. That's probably true. Yeah, I'm glad to have you back on. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for joining, or letting me join. Of course. Of course. Always fun. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about Marvel United and reviewing it. But before we jump into that game, what you been up to, Colin? Yeah, so a lot of what I've been doing is dealing with three kids. <laughs> it's definitely a new experience. <laughs> Yeah, uh, three boys. Uh, so our third child was born right in the beginning time of COVID in the United States in March 23rd. So we've got three boys. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, that's been keeping me a bit busy. Uh, but I have also been able to uh, kind of contribute a little bit more to the channel. So I've been playing lots of older games, uh, been just having a lot of fun with uh, Mage Knight and Star Trek Frontiers. I'm in the midst of recording that one. So uh, yeah, definitely, definitely having some fun. Oh, and of course, uh, Stygian Society. I have been really loving that one. Some some cube dropping goodness. Uh, my six-year-old son has been really enjoying that. So that's kind of what I've been up to. What have you been up to, Steve? Well, honestly, playing a lot of Marvel United, which we'll talk about later this episode. My, uh, <laughs> I showed my son the Kickstarter page and the video of it, and he got super excited because he likes superheroes and he likes miniatures. So he's like, oh, does that have dudes in this game? And I say, no. He's like, no, move on next game. He doesn't want it. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> anyway, I showed him the game, and then uh, I think it's been just about every day, he was asking me, is Marvel United here? I'm like, no, it's not here. It's going to be a while yet. Is Marvel United here? No, it's going to be a while. And so it finally showed up, and he was just ecstatic. So, uh, we were we've been playing that one pretty hard. He's he's been enjoying it, and um, we'll talk about more. But I've been playing that a lot, and uh, honestly, just trying to deal with uh, you know, having a kid at home for school. I mean, becoming a teacher dad lately. So, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't really in the uh, the parent handbook, was it? Uh, what you got handbook? <laughs> I'm missing. I did. It's called uh, personal experience with the other two kids. <laughs> No, yeah, it's it's been interesting. I've been lucky enough to be able to have my oldest. He's just turning seven in October. Uh, he is back in school, but he's at a, a, a school with a small amount of kids, and they're just wearing masks all day. And they're at their desks have plexiglass in between each of them. Uh, it's kind of crazy, but it, it allows him to go there, and I'm so thankful for that because he is really thriving. So it's been it's been good to see. He's been going for almost a month now. That's awesome. Cool. Well, enough of the chit-chat. Um, let's thank our Patreon supporters. So this week, we'd like to thank Rob Tapfield, a co-op lover, Kirk Gardner, a co-op fan, and Brad Batchelor, a co-op lover. So thanks to these Patreon supporters, and honestly, all our Patreon supporters. Everything you guys do help us a ton keeping this channel going. You guys rock. Let's jump into the meat of the episode. Talk about Marvel United. Wait, wait, wait. Marvel United and meat? I'm not sure. It's more like a, a salad, don't you think? A salad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Or just just maybe an appetizer. <laughs> an appetizer, okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Marvel United, what is this game? Uh, this game is a recent game from Simon and Spin Master. I think they partnered up to create this game. 
And it is a superhero game where you pick as one of many superheroes from the Marvel Universe and try to take down a big bad boss. Honestly, it sounds like every other Marvel superhero game out there. <laughs> <laughs> really does. There are miniatures, though, Steve. So, you know, there's a difference because Marvel Champions doesn't have miniatures. And neither does Legendary or what are the other Marvel games? Five Minute Marvel, I think. There's a few of them out there. So, yeah, there but, are yes. A few. but yeah, so this game, it's all about playing cards from your hand that generate your actions for the game. And you're, you've got a hand of cards, and the actions you can do are very, very simple. You move, you attack, and you do what's called a heroic action. And basically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to complete a number of missions. The missions, as you complete them, the first one you complete will make the villain act more or hurt you harder. And the second one you complete will allow you to actually hit the, the boss. And so after you complete these two missions, and the missions involve stuff like saving civilians, beating up thugs, or just clearing out threats, then you can actually hit the boss and maybe win the game. If you run out of cards, then you lose the game, basically. It's got a kind of a built-in timer there, but it's a very fast-playing game. Yeah, I would put, I did a playthrough on the channel with my wife, actually. Monica was nice enough to do this with me. And the playthrough with setup is 19 minutes and 42 seconds long. <laughs> so it is definitely a quick game. For sure. Yeah, in this episode, we're going to review the core box exclusively because that's what we received from the uh, Kickstarter. We both, uh, Colin and I, opted to get an early delivery of that, but we do have the rest of the Kickstarter coming who knows when? <laughs> Sometime much later. <laughs> so, Yeah, probably 2025. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and I will say, I think that at that point, Steve, we definitely should revisit this because I think, well, I'm, never mind. I will talk about that during our final thoughts. <laughs> yep, I agree. Okay, let's jump into it. So your first time listening to the episode, we like to do a top five review format, meaning that we like to talk about our five most important things you need to know about the game. We start with our least important, our number five, and work our way up to our number one, most important. And along the way, we'd like to talk if each of these points is a pro or con for us. So Colin, why don't you start us off? I knew you were going to have me start. <laughs> yeah, so my uh, my number five, I know you don't like this, Steve, and I don't like doing this normally, but I'm going to put it as a mix. I don't like mixes. It's my only mix, but that's because I'm putting it as the art and the component quality. And to me, I really like the art. Uh, the art of the game is uh, chibi art. I think it's called. Is that what it's yep. called? Chibi. Yeah, great. Yep. Chibi. I can't, I can't pronounce anything as anyone who knows me would know that. <laughs> uh, but I, I really like the art. It still gives you the feel of Marvel, but it makes them a little bit more kid-ish or feel a little bit younger. And so my son who is six, he, he really likes how they look. They don't look scary. They look cool. Even the enemies look cool. Uh, the art on the cards, the back of the art on the cards look really nice. Your player cards, the uh, location, the location art, I think looks great. So I really like the art of the game. And some of the components, like the miniatures, are wonderful. Uh, I cannot wait to paint them. Monica actually said she's going to paint them, so I said go for it. But the locations, the villain dashboard, all of those things are very, very flimsy. Even the cards themselves are not that really nice card stock. And so my locations are already warping. I'm trying to bend them back, but I did get the cardboard version with the Kickstarter, and I'm very happy that I did that because I will immediately be replacing those. <laughs> uh, so I do feel like, I mean, it is a $30 game if you're getting this at Walmart, let's say, 
Uh, so because of that, you you definitely feel that the quality is less than what you are used to in a regular board game. So overall, I would say with the art and with the miniatures, it's definitely a positive. But with some of the other components, I'd put it a little bit more at a negative. I think, honestly, I agree with basically everything you said there, for sure. I, I'm not a huge fan of the chibi art, to be honest, but I think it's fine here. I think it looks good. My son definitely likes it. Uh, the miniatures are excellent, for sure. They look great quality there. And I will agree, the locations do warp. I have been hearing that and seeing that in other uh, people said as well. Now, for me, I don't think this was... This didn't make my list. Uh, it hasn't been a huge problem for me. I was actually able to leave those location tiles out and honestly bend them back the other way. And since I've ever done that, it, they sit flat for me. So I'm not sure if leaving them out in the environment I have where I have controlled humidity in my house or whatever, that helps. But uh, it's not good quality for sure. But it hasn't been a big problem since I've been able to bend them back. I'm not sure if ever, anyone else will have the same issue or not. Yeah, what I've done is I have books on them right now to try and get them to bend back. I don't like bending them the other way. I get scared that I'm going to actually crease them, but maybe I should just suck that up and do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I tried the books and it didn't work for me, so I just bend them back and it worked fine for me. So Yeah, and you know, Minnesota, where we live, our weather, one day it's 90% humidity, the next day it's zero, and I don't know if that helps at all either, <laughs> so that might be it too. Yeah, I like I said... We, We'll see what happens when the weather changes. If that's going to be a problem again. But uh, I completely agree with Colin saying if you can get a hold of the cardboard locations, because honestly, locations in this box are like a thin cardstock. It's not even cardboard. Definitely seek that out for sure. All right, Steve, what's your number five? My number five is going to be a pro, and that is it's fast playing. I found this really refreshing. A lot of the games I play just takes a while to set up and play through. It's not a huge deal. I mean, our 90-minute games are fine for me. But this one, you can easily play in 30 minutes or less. And it was just really nice to have that option. I had like, oh, yeah, I'm busy with the, the kid and we're doing our curriculum. Well, he's got a, a short lunch break. Hey, let's sit down and play a quick game of Marvel United and have a quick break at home from his, his studies or from his classes during the day. And so that was a really nice option as opposed to maybe some other activities like looking watching TV, for example, and do, do something more engaging. And so that was really pleasant. And I think the main reason why this happens is because the actions are just super simple and quick. Like I said before, the you're really only moving uh, around a circle, and then you are attacking, just doing one damage, and then doing heroic action, which rescues the civilian or can help with a threat. So it's just really simple to resolve them. They're really fast to do. Uh, the decisions around those actions are not as simple necessarily, and I'll talk about that more later. But I think that's what helps drive for that fast playing nature. Steve, I'm going to just jump into my number four here because my number four is ease of play and it's a huge positive. And you've just hit pretty much everything I've, I wanted to talk about. <laughs> uh, I, it, I would say that the best part about this game is I can play it set up to take down 30 minutes or less. If I have it out on the table already, I can play it in 15 to 20 minutes with uh, an adult. I can play it potentially even less. And with my son, who is six, he can fully understand what's going on. He has only the three cards in his hand that he has to worry about and the one card that's been played prior to that. And so it gives him not too much information 
for him to make determinations of what to do, uh, but it does still give him that little bit of decision space. And so he feels really cool when he finds that small little combo of, oh, I can use your wild to do this, and then I'll play this two puncher so I can take out those two thugs. And that's going to complete that mission for us, Dad. And it's really cool to see that. And uh, just the ability for him to be able to play it, because there, there's almost no text in the game. There's a little bit of text on the threat cards and on the locations when you clear those threats, but those, you can say them once and your six-year-old is going to remember them. They're very simple. And so he would know, oh, if I move here, then I can, you know, shuffle my deck and pull out one card that I want and stuff like that. So it's, it's really nice for that ease of play. Super, super positive for me on this one. Yeah. I found the same thing where my son can't read right now, or he reads simple words, but nothing that's in Marvel United, for example. But the fact that I can tell him one time what that means and he can memorize the picture because kids have a sponge for a brain, honestly. Seriously. Like, yeah. yeah, he's fine. He knows what that does for the rest of the game. And he even corrects me sometimes when I'm playing a card. Like, Dad, that's not what it's supposed to do. Like, oh, wait. Yeah, you're right. I should read the card. So, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, ease of play is definitely there. And it's very fast. And I really, really enjoyed that. It's a nice, like I said, breath of fresh air. One I would say, and I have heard other people talk about this, how many cooperative games are out there that are quick, that provide you with that amount of a decision space that this game provides you, yet also is quick to play, quick to set up. There's just not a ton out there. Right. Uh, and, you know, you think of your basic co-ops, Pandemic, uh, and, and and of course I'm blanking on other basic ones. Forbidden but, Island, Forbidden, Forbidden Desert. Island, those, yeah. Yeah. those still take you 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and 15 minutes to play. Nothing is going to be as quick as Marvel United. And also with that, have a theme that most people know what that is, right? Who doesn't know what a superhero is? So that also makes it more accessible and easy to get to the table and play it. Yep, agreed. All right, Steve, sorry, I jumped my number four right there too. So how about your number four? So my number four is going to be a con, and that's the luck of order of the villain cards. So what can happen in the game is depending on the order of these cards and when they come up, you can have instances where the villain doesn't do a whole lot or it can do something pretty devastating. I think a perfect example of this is the setup of the game. So when you set up the game, the villain starts in one location and then all the heroes start on the opposite side. And that it winds up being three spaces away. And so what can happen is there is a card in the villain deck that causes the villain to move three spaces and bam. And the bam effect is something bad that is unique to each villain. And they also do damage, at least in the core set, to all heroes in that space. So if you're unlucky and you draw that out as your first of the 12 cards, the villain will move to the space with all the heroes and damage them. And so you're immediately playing with one less card for the, the rest of the game, or at least from the beginning of the game, unless you find some way of healing, which some characters can do and some locations can do, but it's not always uh, an option in every game. And so like starting out the game with less cards is going to put you at a disadvantage. And if that card or if that BAM effect happened later, you may not have as much of a negative effect. And so I definitely think that these cards can have a, a decent effect on the play of the game. But at the same time, like I said before, since this is a fast playing, it's I haven't found it to be a huge deal since it's only my number four because, you know what, I'll keep playing. And if I want to be a bad game or a difficult game, at least, I only spent, what, 15 minutes playing it. So I can just play another one right afterwards. Or if I need to, just reshuffle the deck and just play again. So, But that's definitely my number four, a, the luck of order of the villain cards. 
Yeah, I definitely can agree with you there uh, that I've definitely seen that one playing. Uh, but I, I will also agree with you at the end that for this type of game, I actually don't mind that. I don't mind that, oh my gosh, randomly in this one, we're going to start with one less card, all of us. And this bam creates where it's we have an overflow of enemies or thugs in all these different locations. I don't mind. It's a 15 minute game. If you're going to have that little bit of randomness, that usually means that down the road, they, they aren't going to bam on a future turn. Great. That's good to know. Uh, and you just find a way to mitigate or you just restart it because it's a quick game. So I, I don't mind it nearly as much, which is probably why it didn't hit my uh, my top five. But I totally am tracking you. Yep. Agreed. So what's your number three, Colin? Yeah. So my number three is actually another positive, and that is the co-op aspect of the game. So you think of a simple game like this. Uh, what's wonderful is how much cooperation is actually involved. Uh, and it, it's so simple, yet it's quite effective. Uh, so what you do when you play this game, you're going to choose one card to play and you're going to put it out in this timeline. And when you do that, you get to use the symbols and whatever special ability that's on that card that might relate to your hero. But then you get to look at the card that was played last from the previous hero, and you get to use those symbols as well on your turn. And you can activate them in any order you want. And this is where it gets juicy and fun. Uh, and this is where my son, who's six, really gets into it because he'll see he has a two punch card. But I have played a wild before that, and he realizes he could use the two punches first, then use my wild for something else like a move. Uh, and so it's really fun to be able to manipulate what you're playing on the board and then what you see in the timeline and go, well, this might not be the best thing for me now, but you're going to be able to use these icons on your turn. So I'm going to play this just so that then you're able to use them when you go and you can use them and do whatever you have on your card. And it's fun. It's a really great way to give you that little bit of cooperation but also still have you have your personal agency with playing your own card. You're the only one who gets your special ability. So if I have uh, Captain Marvel, I can shoot uh, in an adjacent location with, I think it's two of her cards. No one else can use that. So I still have that that's mine, but I can use you know, Hulk's one move card that he played the last turn. So I'm able to move and then do that range attack, which is really cool. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the card play in this game is very engaging, very fun. Um, I might talk about that later. <laughs> cool. Well, what is your number three then, Steve? My number three is a pro, and that's the difficulty of the game. I found on the easiest difficulty, the game is honestly pretty easy. It's uh, It can be a walk in the park in some setups and some situations, which is nice for having kids play, honestly. like I can play a game with my son, and... I let him make decisions. I know he's, in some cases, will make a suboptimal play, and he'll make optimal plays in other cases, but it doesn't bother me because it's the right difficulty for him, right? It's still, there's always a chance we can win. But what I wasn't prepared for in this game is when you crank that difficulty up to the highest settings, it becomes very challenging. And I wasn't prepared for that, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, there are some setups that I'm wondering in the game that may be nearly impossible. I've been able to win on Heroic, I think, with a lot of setups. So I don't know if that exists in the core setup. I'm wondering, once we get all this content, we, there might be some combination of heroes and villains and difficult settings, which may be uh, near the impossible range. I'm not positive on that. But I, I know that kind of happens for Legendary, Marvel Legendary. So I'm kind of expecting the similar thing to happen here. 
that I found very fun and engaging. I know that can be a con for people because if you just grab a random set of heroes and random villain and choose a random difficulty level, you might not be expecting that just that level of play. It might be a little off-putting. And this one, Steve, is actually really interesting to me. So after you talked about that, I made sure to play each of the different enemies on Heroic at least once. I think I did uh, Ultron twice at Heroic, uh, Red Skull at least three times on Heroic. I only did Taskmaster once on Heroic, and I'm still not entirely sure if we're doing the rules right on Taskmaster because of the FAQ. I think the FAQ got me a little more confused than (laughs) helped me out. Um, But I actually have had a little bit of a different uh, experience than you have in the fact that I have felt like it still feels a little bit more on the easy end, but I have only ever played the heroic mode with Monica. So I don't know if uh, having another person and you're playing with another person versus playing maybe with your son or playing solo um, has made it a little bit more challenging. But just for me personally, I haven't found the game to be challenging enough, really. Actually, that would be something that for me, I want it to be more challenging. And how I want it to be more challenging is different than what I've seen, how the game is making it more challenging. So the game makes it more challenging by taking out these wilds from your deck. So you go from having 12 cards down to 10 if you want to do heroic, which is great. That means the game's even faster, though. Uh, And uh, what I would like to do, and from what I understand that we will see in future content is have the missions be more challenging to complete. So right now the missions are you have to defeat nine thugs, save nine civilians and complete four threats. And you can have those be variable. So now all of a sudden you need to complete all six threats and uh, defeat 12 thugs and defeat 12 civilians. And to me, that's the type of difficulty that I wanted versus just, Hey, take out some cards from the hero decks make the game even faster because I always I feel like the game is fast enough uh, and make the challenge more of you have to do more with the cards that you have. Now, that's just me personally, but that's just how I have experienced the game so far. Yeah, we definitely had different experiences on that. Uh, I remember playing on Heroic Difficulty with Taskmaster and my wife and she became very frustrated like okay this is way too hard don't don't ever do this again is what she told me because <laughs> like, we weren't even anywhere close to taking him down and i think this gets into a little bit of it does depend on what type of heroes you choose because and the, the randomness heroes... of the villain cards too like you've talked about Correct. because i really Correct. think how the taskmaster starts can make a huge difference you get a ton of those crisis tokens out and you're already behind that eight ball uh right. versus if if you get one of those good you know, easy villain cards, you can mop things up and then he's not going to be putting out those those um, crisis tokens other than with his BAM effect. And I think he only has four BAM cards. So then it doesn't happen nearly as much. Yeah, so, and it depends on, like I was saying, the characters you pick too because for Taskmaster, for example, he has a lot of traps. And the only way to get rid of those traps, and they're pretty pretty detrimental, they're, they're really frustrating to deal with, you need to play heroic actions. And Captain America has a lot of heroic action, which makes him particularly good against Taskmaster, but other characters like Captain Marvel, not so much. And so if you choose a certain combination of heroes to go against Taskmaster and at that high difficulty, it will be very, very challenging. That's honestly what happened when we played. We chose something that was going to make that sub extra hard, and we didn't quite realize at the time. So what we wound up doing is... She, we, she wanted to tell me to put the wilds back in, <laughs> so we did that. <laughs> and then and we wound up changing changing heroes, and then we were able to win. So I've played it on with just 
Kim and I on different settings, and I've also done it with the true solo mode. Uh, and true solo mode does change the game in a lot of ways, and, and it can make it very interesting in other ways too, which I actually really enjoy. But outside of outside of solo mode, I won't get that details here. I, I did find it very challenging and difficult. So I don't know. Uh, it may be something to to think about a little bit more. I I have played this game quite a bit. I think I've got about twenty plays as of this recording, somewhere around that number. Um, and I've had a lot of close games. I only have I think nine plays at this point. So and and only a couple with Connor and most of the rest with Monica or solo two handed. So I actually still have not played the official solo rules. I was a little hesitant on them, but after hearing Steve talk about them, I actually think they're pretty, they, they sound to be pretty solid. Um, but I, I think you're right. I, I, my guess is that I haven't played enough to see, and I probably just got lucky with Taskmaster. Uh, and like we've talked about before, Ultron might not be as challenging, especially depending upon the heroes that you choose. And I tend to choose the ones that I like the most, which would include Hulk, which Hulk is, quite good at taking care of uh, thugs and civilians <laughs> as you might see in the playthrough. Uh, so that also helps. So uh, yeah, I, I do think that heroes will make that difference and the randomness of the villains too. Uh, so sure. you could have an easier game or a much harder game because of that. But I mean, long story short, uh, regardless of what the core experience difficulty winds up being for you, I think Colin is right in that uh, I'm also looking forward to what the expansions are going to provide. Like the, the more difficult missions are, going to be coming in the i believe the gardens of the galaxy set yep i believe you're right yeah and then they're gonna add more challenges on top of that where you have to defend locations for example or i'm trying to remember the other one. oh yeah protect your secret identities another one and these are all modular so you can literally throw these all into a single game is what i understand and i think that's going to be pretty interesting for adults or you know for baron there's the campaign too where you go against thanos and you actually for will sure. anytime your your hero gets knocked out it actually dies and you have to get a new hero right that has barrett written all over it campaign what yep yeah Yeah, that's my number three so colin what's your number two yeah so my number two is actually a negative and i you know i was struggling with this and i wasn't sure how to describe this this game for me doesn't draw me in like i was hoping it would uh there's many other games that are around the 30 minute to an hour mark that I will play because they're quick and fast. The The challenge with Marvel United is it's so quick to play. Uh, I almost feel like, well, why do I want to get it out? Uh, the reason I would get it out is would be if Connor wants to play it with me. Uh, but other than that, I'm probably not going to pull this game out for just myself or Monica. So like, I asked Monica after we played it multiple times, do you want to play this game again? And she said, not really, not unless we're playing with Connor. And I don't exactly know, and I can't pinpoint why, other than I think the game, it's good, but it's fast. And we almost feel like we're just kind of getting into that groove of where you enjoy it, and then all of a sudden it's over. And I think it's just we enjoy slightly longer games that you get to see a little bit more of your strategy play out. And in Marvel United, since everything's just so fast and all of a sudden the game's over, uh, we just we kind of sit there going, well, we want a little bit more. Now, what you could do is just set the game up and play it again. But what we felt is after doing that, we were still feeling that way. And then we'd want to pull out a totally different game. For some reason, the game is not satisfying our need for a game. And I don't know exactly why, but that's just how we're feeling. So for me, that's a negative, And it's high up on the list because it is uh, we're not really going to 
to be pulling this out again unless Connor asks for it uh, until the new content comes out. And I'm hoping with the new content and providing different uh, module mod, modular sets that you can put in, that might bring a little more life to it for our family. Yeah, and I, I ran into this a little bit with my wife too, where we played it. We played the first couple of games together and at the end I asked her, so what do you think of this game? And her first response was like, yeah, I actually really like, like this game. This is really fun. And then she added to that was like, well, the but the only thing is like, would I play this over Anne's End? And we, at the time we were playing Anne's End Outcast campaign. And she was like, no, I would rather play that game over this. And honestly, I completely agree. Like this game is fun. It fits a niche, but do you have this niche to fill? I think is what it comes down to. You've got it. You've got it. And is it going to, is it going to satisfy you for what you're looking for? If you're Correct. looking for that 15 to 30 minute game, that's lighter on the lighter side, still has good decision-making has the, you know, where you're starting to run out of resources. You can, you, you feel the challenge of the villain, but it's just super quick. And, you know, sometimes that's not going to fill that appetite that you're looking for, for a game. And for us, it just wasn't working. Yeah, I can totally see that for sure. I think uh, for me, I've been playing it solo and I've enjoyed that because it feels like a different game. Not significantly different, but different enough where I've enjoyed exploring the different aspects and different strategies that I can employ in that alternate solo mode. And the main reason for that is in this alternate solo mode, you are playing as three heroes, but what you do is you take all the cards and shuffle them all together into a single deck and you draw a hand of five cards and you basically play uh, with those three heroes. And so if I play a Hulk card, I move Hulk with that card and, and just play normally. Now, the difference here is if I ever lose the, the fifth card out of my hand or basically don't have any cards in my hand, I instantly lose the game. In the regular game, if you lose your last card in your hand, you are knocked out and you lay yourself down and an extra bam effect happens. And then when your turn comes up again, you draw up your hands and continue playing. So this one has a, a, another loss condition, which was interesting and something else to to consider. But more importantly, the fact that I can play any of my cards in any order was really interesting to me because I can order it so that I play down my Wasp Shrink card and now she's invincible, can't take damage. And then I can play two or three Iron Man cards and another two Hulk cards and then finally get back to her. So now she has five turns until her next turn comes up where she's invincible. So like open the doors for other strategies to explore and other options. Now, it's still going to be a fast playing game. So I don't know if that's going to satisfy what Collins bring up earlier, but at least I found this uh, more engaging than expected. Yeah. You know, you talking about solo mode definitely makes me interested in it. I, I do think their idea is solid here. You're able to individually activate your heroes, but you get to choose that order and you can do some really cool things with that. And I really like that uh, example of the wasp. That sounds really cool. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good one though. All right, Steve, what's your number two? My number two is going to be a pro and that is the characters feel different. And I'll list this as two separate subcategories to that. I'll talk about the heroes and the villains. When I was looking at this campaign, they were showing the heroes and they were, showing the decks and honestly the decks are 12 cards for every character and there is some combination of movement fight and heroic actions in there and then you have three cards which are special powers and honestly when i saw that i, I was like really that's that's the character differentiation and they're like claiming on the kickstart page yeah they feel different they feel different i'm like i don't know honestly i'm not sure about that 
Anyway, I bought the game anyway because I knew my son would like it, and I feel like if he likes it, that's a win regardless, right? <laughs> so, uh, but when I sat down and played the game, and this comes down back to a previous point, where I think if you play certain heroes against certain setups and villains, it does feel harder, and it could be extremely challenging in some situations or easy in others. And I think that alone tells me that, yeah, you know what? These characters, these heroes do feel different. Now, how different do they feel? I, I think it's going to wind up falling into categories, meaning that like, hey, Captain Marvel, she's good at fighting. She's one of the fighter categories, for example. And, and Captain America, he's really good at heroic actions. He's a heroic action category. And I suspect as we get more and more heroes from the Kickstarter delivers, I suspect that we're just going to have like 20 characters in the fighter category, 20 in the heroic action category. And so they might might start feeling a little more samey in that regard, but at least in the core set and the variety of characters they give there, it's it's a good variety. It's not radically different from each other, but I still feel like they play different. And for the villains, I was actually very happy with the villains. The villains I feel like have a great variety to them. And if I play Red Skull, he's gonna play significantly different than Ultron and Taskmaster. They all do very different tweaks to the rule set and different strategies to you approach them. So I was really happy with that and seeing what's coming out in the future. I think the villains are going to provide the greatest variety in the game and can provide that replayability which the game needs. Do you wish that the villains had more than six threat cards? Sometimes I kind of wish that. I do, actually. I think that's a good point. I think they could have had a little more variety in the game if there was more threat cards. I think the threat cards in there, because they are in random locations, it's fine. It's okay. But yeah, I will never say no to more variety. <laughs> Yeah, I guess when you look at them, I'm just thinking of the Ultron playthrough we did. You, you know, you've got two, two, and two. So you only have three different types of threat cards, and there's just two of each. Yes. Uh, and then they're set across the the different locations. So really, they only have three threats, just two sets of those three sets. And I would have loved if they maybe had included six sets of two, and then you'd randomly grab, you know, maybe three sets of those two cards. So you'd still only have three different threats on the on the board of two types, but then you would, you know, you could have a mix and match kind of feel. Um, but I, I, I agree with you that the the heroes actually do feel very different. Uh, they will only feel different though at certain points in the game those points would include when you get to play your card, your cards that have your special abilities. I love bringing in Hulk and just destroying everything or captain, uh, captain Marvel and being able to attack range. That's always so awesome. Or the wasp being able to bring someone else to another location that can be super clutch. But I do feel like comparing that to a game, let's say like pandemic where my ability is always active. I can use it every turn versus in in this game you only get to do this three times with cards that you may not even see if you don't get that far within the game it's i would say the differentiation is less than what you would see in in a game like pandemic i kind of agree but also disagree a little bit as well in the sense that you only have 10 to 12 cards and especially if you play on a heroic difficulty level you only have 10 cards in your deck you start with three in your hand you are going to see every card in your deck so you're going to see those specials for sure and honestly, you've got good odds of seeing a special in your hand. It's it's a time, but I agree. It would have been nice if you had like the special power I can use over and over again. Uh, I did find there are ways in the game to play those special powers over and over again. You can can do it. Uh, there's some combos you can pull off. Completely agree on that end standpoint, but I also like the fact that in Pandemic, like the Pandemic game, you can everyone has the same basic actions. 
everyone can do the same thing. The only differentiation between those is like one or two powers, but otherwise everyone's exactly the same. Here, everyone has a unique power. Yeah, you can only play it once or twice, but it could be potentially even three unique powers. And then on top of that, they do different different types of actions. Well, sorry, they do the same action, but they can do them at different rates. Like this guy's gonna do a lot of movement. This guy's gonna do a lot of heroic actions. So in that sense, they feel a little more differentiated. So overall, I feel like it's about equivalent, but maybe not. I'm not sure how other people feel about that. I can see what you're saying. And also, I also want to point out what's really cool is let's say Hulk is really good at punching things, but because he's really good at punching things, he can help other players be good at punching things. So that's what's really cool is, yeah, you know, Hulk, you think of uh, taking out enemies, but because someone can copy that card or use the, the, the symbols on his last card that he played, they get to do that too. And I really enjoyed that. So in our playthrough, Captain Marvel had a couple of those heroic actions that normally I think Hulk has two cards in his entire deck <laughs> that are heroic. <laughs> right. Because, <laughs> right. you know, that's not his thing. He's moving and he's killing. Okay. <laughs> uh, but so all of a sudden I was able to go around as Hulk and I was doing heroic actions because I'm able to use Captain Marvel's card uh, because she, Monica had played it the last turn. So that is really cool too. So it's not only the fact that you have special cards, but you're also able to give, if you have more of a specific type of action, you can give those then to your teammates, which is cool. So I'll give you that. It's just that with Pandemic, I'm just thinking of the medic. If I'm the medic, I'm always using that ability. I'm, I know that that's what I can do. And that makes sure. it almost easier from a, what's that standpoint? From a from a standpoint of a new gamer, like, okay, I'm the medic. I know I'm cleaning out these cubes. That's my goal. Or I'm the dispatcher. That means I know I'm going to be moving other people around. I'm not going to move a ton because I'm going to help everyone else get into the right spot versus here in Marvel United. Yeah, I could be Hulk and really good at smashing things. But just because of that, because of cards that are playing out on the table and I don't have my Hulk smash card, I might actually be doing a move and too heroic, you know, and so that's fine. I I just feel like you do get a little more differentiation in a game like Pandemic because you always have that. Uh, that ability available to you. And it's a little bit easier for a new player to feel that different differentiation than it would be maybe within Marvel United. I think I'm going to jump into my number one because he's touching on a point that's in my number one. So my number one is going to be a pro and that's going to be the, the excellent cooperation. I think the cooperation in the game is phenomenal. And like, it's such a simple concept. Like the icons that the person played before me, I get the same icons in addition to the card I play, and then the person that goes after me gets the icons I play plus whatever card they play. It's a very simple concept, and it really drives a lot of discussion at the table. Now, the comment you said before was something that dives drives into this as well, where I know looking at the Kickstarter campaign, they were talking about like, hey, yeah, seating is, matters in the game. I'm like, really? Does the seating really matter? And honestly, it does. This gets back to what you were just talking about, Colin, and that I know that Hulk is not very good at heroic actions. He's, he's, he's poor at it. But if I play with Captain America, who has a lot of heroic actions, I can have him act first in the turn order to Hulk, and now Hulk has a lot of heroic actions at his disposal. So that does matter, because whoever goes before you, you're going to get the same benefits, at least base icon-wise, as that character. And so that does change the game a lot. You can, you can actually fill gaps. You can make characters more specialized in certain fields as well if you want to like double up. Let's say I have Captain Marvel first and then Hulk, and now Captain Marvel, Marvel has a lot of fighting, and now Hulk has a lot of fighting, so he's going to be just a super puncher, for example. So, 
it's, it was something that like I honestly didn't believe when they were talking about it. But honestly, after playing it enough times, I, I think that's true. I think that's definitely in there. Steve, I'm totally seeing what you're what you're saying, and that is something that I wish I've actually played this game with more than two people because <laughs> I right now, because I've only played with two people, the order hasn't mattered as much because it doesn't matter which one starts. You can still use the other player's card, but I could mm, totally see point. that in three, four player that that would make a huge difference. And it's something that I haven't experienced, but now that you're talking about it can totally see it. So way to see that because I don't think you've played three and four player. Have you? I play three player with my son. I have not played four. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So you have at least played three player, uh, but good catch because that that is a very very good point. And the nice thing about this too is, especially on three player, everyone is engaged on everyone's turn because that card matters to everyone. Because the card that someone's playing matters to the person playing it. Obviously, it matters to the per- person who just played it because they want to know like what icons you need. So I'm not going to play a card that's going to set you in a bad position where you can't use them. And then, likewise, the next person goes, they want to make sure they can use whatever card you're playing. So in a three-player game, everyone's engaged on everyone's turn. In a four-player game, I haven't played it yet, but I suspect that there may be an instance where that fourth player may not be as engaged. But still, they want to know what the person in front of them is going to play. So there's going to be some level of engagement at that at that player count, too. I could see four-player being a little bit more of a challenge, especially once the villain activates every two cards, because you're looking at potentially having the villain activate twice before you go again. Uh, but still, uh, I still think that the the quickness of the game requires you to be involved because you're not having substantially long turns when you are playing cards out on the table. And, and the fact that everything is changing on the board so quickly, it's going to be a lot easier for you to stay involved, uh, even I think, even with a four-player game. But once again, I, I can't say anything I haven't played at that, at that player count. The other thing I'll mention real quick, jumping at a previous point, for whatever reason, I feel like playing at two players because how the villains work is the different player counts you start with different health for the villain and once you get rid of all the health you win the game and a two-player villain level of health it's normally fairly easy to get rid of that health you can normally get it rid of it in possibly even a single turn depending on who you're playing against and how you set it up but in a three-player game i don't feel that's possible anymore so now you have to plan multiple turns in advance to take down this villain and that added a lot more difficulty to my game so Getting back to your previous comment, Colin, about how you didn't find it super challenging, I wonder if that had a factor in it. You know, it's making me think that maybe I should try having a villain just have the three-player health instead of the two-player, yeah. you know? Honestly, just, honestly, I prefer yeah. the health level just in general. Yeah, so. yeah just because it, it means... Because so many times we've been able to set it up where we're we're able to finish a mission and then immediately we're just able to kill him. So yep. it's, it's not nearly as challenging as what I want it to be where oh, we finished this mission and now we've got to chase him down. No, it's like, okay, I finished a mission and he's in, already in the spot and he's dead <laughs> because he has two health. Yeah, so I, I think that's a, that's a good way to increase that difficulty too. Great, great sure. thinking, Steve. And, you know, this comes from you playing it 20 times. And, and you know, that's something I have only played it eight times. So, yeah, great, great point. The last point I'll make on this cooperation is the card counting. I found myself card counting a lot more than I expected in such a simple game, meaning that, like, I know that, for example, Hulk has two heroic actions. So when they come up, I know those are very valuable. I need to make sure I play these at the right time. And if you play it at higher difficulty levels, the math works out in such a way where you have to play very efficiently. You cannot let icons sit on the board unused. And so you must make sure that whatever card I'm playing, it has to be good for me, of course, but it also has to be usable or somewhat good for other players. So it makes it really challenging and difficult to figure out like, 
man, do I play this very, very rare card for me? My, my heroic actions for Hulk or not? And and when is that other card I need coming up? When can I search for that card? So you wind up like learning the decks, learning how, how they play. You wind up essentially card counting. I really, really enjoyed that. Anyway, that's my number one. A lot of different topics in that one, I feel like. But <laughs> go ahead, <laughs> Colin. What's your number one? It's the hodgepodge number one. No, I get it. Uh, so my number one is actually a negative, and that is dealing with this being a game that is focused on a Kickstarter. And uh, I just, I, I think that somebody who likes this game as a base game is going to be very frustrated if they did not back this game on Kickstarter because there are going to be so many exclusive characters. There's exclusive expansions, including the campaign expansion. I think that's only on Kickstarter. Uh, and so one of the things that always bugs me of, about Cool Mini or Not is how much exclusiveness there is in their content and yes. this game it's to a degree that i feel like is higher than even some of their other games <laughs> and uh you play this base game you're you're probably just getting that small taste and if you really enjoy that then you're going to be spending tons of dollars to on the secondhand market to try and get everything for this game and so for me that's a huge negative for this game if you are thinking that you need something more than just the base if you're looking for just a base game experience then i think you're fine but if you buy this with a base game experience thinking that you're you're going to want everything either hopefully you back the kickstarter or you're going to have a hard time trying to find everything for the game when it does come out in 2025 <laughs> uh but yeah to me that was something that i felt very strongly about so i put it at number 1 because it's it's where I'm at right now, where I'm feeling like I'm not going to pull that base game out very often until that uh, expansion content comes. And uh, if I didn't have that coming, I'm not sure that I would want to keep the base game for our family since it doesn't come out as often as it is for Steve. So just something to be aware of when you're looking at this game. Yeah, I completely agree with the Kickstarter exclusives here. It's um, There were a lot in there. And I'm a little confused on what is exactly exclusive or not, because I know yeah. there's some people in the comments saying that, oh, yeah, they were talking about maybe this is coming out later to retail and maybe not. I, I don't know. I'm not sure it's what's happening, what's not. But regardless, like there was a lot of content in that campaign and it was a, a good value if you could pay that huge lump sum. But it's also a risk, too, right? Because you don't even know if you like the game. And we don't even know if it's going to deliver. I mean, we know we've got the base right. game, but we haven't gotten anything else yet. Correct. And we don't know, like we can conjecture and like, well, I think that this this new ability or this this added complexity is going to be really good for adults, but we don't know until it arrives. You've got it. And we don't have any idea if it's been play tested or not either. And with Kumini or not, I've definitely seen that expansions don't seem to have as much play testing as the base game. The base games are usually pretty solid. The expansions not so much. <laughs> so that's my only worry is that we're going to come in with ridiculously overpowered heroes or ridiculously over or underpowered villains. Yeah, I agree. That's an excellent point. And I, I think the silver lining is that I watched a interview or discussion with the designers and they, without revealing anything, of course, because I can't say anything, uh, were hinting at, you know what, there's a decent chance that in the future there may be more content coming out, in which case I would assume to be another Kickstarter. In which case I would assume that you'd be able to buy a bunch of the previous exclusive uh, sets and figures, but we won't know until it actually happens. Yeah, cool. I didn't I didn't know that they were doing that. That's cool. I thought one of their designers on this is no longer even with Kumini or not. 
Eric Lang has left. So that comment was made before he left. So I don't know what that means now. So okay, yeah, because I think a lot of things have changed. You know, after Eric Lang left, now all of a sudden Trudvang Legends has been delayed for a full year. They're totally going back to the drawing board of the design. So I, anything with Kumini or not right now, I think is a little bit up in the air on what's going to happen because I think there's just a lot of change that's happening to that to that company just based on what I've been seeing. Uh, but regardless. The base game is solid. It it's provided Steve with twenty plays. That's pretty dang good. I think that's good of any game. Uh, and and so uh, you know it's definitely something that's worth checking out. But it might not be something that if you're thinking you want to go full in on and you haven't you haven't already put your money in for that Kickstarter, it might not be something that you want to tr- start trying to invest in. Yeah, I'll I'll jump on my final thoughts on two. Um, for me, this is a strong recommend, but with a strong recommend with an asterisk on it. The asterisk is, it's, this game's not going to be for everyone. Like, if you don't like light games, just walk away. <laughs> so, I mean, the actions are really simple in this game. You're not doing anything complex. You're not doing Spirit Island. Hey, I'm going to push these guys three over here and then move them over here and, and do 20 damage over here. No, none of that's here. It's very simple, very quick. There's no adding a whole nother island to the to the table and, <laughs> no, or destroying an entire island. <laughs> There's none of that? What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. But I guess for me, that's okay because what this game is trying to be, I think it did it well. It's trying to you can hit that that market where, you know what, families can sit down and play this game. You can have kids play this game and enjoy it. And from my experience, you can have adults sit down and play this game and enjoy it. And it's, it's rare for me to find those games where I can sit down and play with my five-year-old son and I can play as best the best game I can, and so can he, and we can both enjoy it and have fun with it. Like I've played other games where... You know, I need to help him out a little bit with some of the strategies. And if he plays stuff op- optimally, we're going to have some issues there. But I can tweak the settings and here to make it so that it's a good experience for him and he understands he can contribute. And so for me, that was a winning combination for me. On top of that, I'm also a sucker for the Marvel universe. So that is a factor for me specifically. I'm a huge Marvel fan. I like my Marvel games. So <laughs> that is that is going to be an impact. Like we said before, this fits a very niche setting. Like. I can see myself pulling this out at the beginning of a game night or at the end of game night with normal adult gamers, for example. Like, hey, you know what? I know this game's only going to take 30 minutes. Let's just play a quick game while I wait for people to show up. Or while things are winding down, let's have let's play this quick game or whatever we're doing, right? It's not going to be the center post for any of our game nights. We're going to do something like Spirit On, like we mentioned earlier, for example. But for me, that's okay. It's For what it's trying to do, it does it well. And see, that's interesting, Steve, because for me, I would say that uh, for a bookend of playing games, I probably wouldn't pick this. I would pick a game that's maybe a real-time game. Uh, you, you know, I uh, I really like those real-time games, and I think that's part of the problem is that this game is competing with those types of games. Sure. And I, for me, I enjoy those real-times. 10 minutes, you're done, you play it, it's super quick, super fun, and then you move on. And I, I don't know why it is exactly, but for whatever reason this game, I just don't see myself pulling it out, but I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. It, you already have that, uh, that need filled in your collection. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Completely agree with you. Cool. So that was our review of Marvel United. We did go out to our discord channel and ask our community some other questions that they want to get answered. And so let's run through some of those real quick and then we'll call it wraps. So one of the questions our topics we want to talk about was from Mike, who I think you guys might know. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Maybe you guys know. Uh, he wanted us to talk about the usefulness of location abilities. 
So one thing we need to talk about is in this game, you set out six location tiles or whatever cards, and you put the threat cards of each of the villains onto these locations. And then when you clear the threat, the location has a special ability that when you end your turn, you get to do some effect. So these can vary from, hey, I get to fly a helicarrier, I can move to any location, to something like a, a shield lab where now I can take a previously played card and swap it from one in my hand. And they do have a wide variety of different effects. So Colin, what do you think of the usefulness of these locations? I will say that when Monica and I are strategizing, that's one of the big things that we look at because some of those locations are super powerful. Being able to swap a card from the timeline, if you're playing on easy, that means you could swap that double wild you already played before with a single a single symbol card and put it into your hand. Or you want your card with your special ability back, boom, you've got it back. There's another one that lets you remove a crisis token anywhere on the board against Taskmaster. That's amazing. Yeah, you have to take a damage to do it. So many times that's worth it because usually getting rid of those uh, crisis tokens are such a challenge against Taskmaster because that location has to be clear of all civilians and thugs. Uh, There's one that lets you actually find any card in your deck and put it on top of your deck so you're guaranteed to draw it. They're they're all great. I mean, I, I think... Some locations are better than others for sure, but I find that that's always part of our strategy is we look to see what those location abilities are and we go, that one's awesome. We need to get rid of that threat as soon as possible. Have someone in there to use that. And a lot of times you end up spamming it, <laughs> especially that one that lets you grab a card from the from the timeline and put it into your hand. Love that one. You go back there over and over again, you get those two heroic tokens or two heroic symbols that you need uh, to be able to complete uh, a specific threat. It's wonderful. What do you think, Steve? I'm completely, completely agree with you with that. This one, those locations, they do vary. They're not all useful in all situations, but I find them more often than not, they are useful at some point in the game, right? And depending on the setup and situation. And I wound up spamming a lot, especially the one you mentioned, that lab one where you can take a car and replace it with the timeline is amazing. I've even done it so that uh, I mentioned earlier how important it is to play a car that doesn't uh, hamper the next player who's going to play. And so the nice thing about that one is I can play a card to the timeline and it only benefits me, doesn't benefit the other person. But if I can utilize that location ability, now I can swap that card I just played with a card from my hand that is going to help them. So now I got to play a card that's really useful to me and play put, swap it with a card that's really, really useful to, for the next player. So it gets around that, that situation. But honestly, this is where a lot of the combos come into play. We can move things and, and mix things up a lot. And I looking forward to the next locations in the game. Yeah, I'll say that that's one of the one of the things that's actually really fun about the game is the location setup and where they are and what threats you have to get rid of so you can start spamming or using those location abilities. I thought that's a really cool way of also providing you with a small way you can kind of level up or feel like you're stronger by having more locations that are open. You can go, oh yeah, I can end here and get this additional ability. So it almost feels like you're leveling up as well as you're going. For sure. The other topic that came by from Mike as well was the what he called the damage mechanic. What he means by this is when you take damage in this game, you will take a card from your hand and put it face down on the bottom of your deck. So you're going to see that card again in the future, but now you're playing with one less card, which means you have less options, which means you play more suboptimally. So Mike was saying that the damage mechanic means that if I'm playing suboptimally, I have a greater chance of taking damage and it's going to accelerate me towards a knockout situation. Yeah, I mean, I think that that might be the case, but that's part of why you want to mitigate taking damage and then you want to utilize either 
Iron Man with his card that lets you draw up to three cards, or your location that lets you draw one additional card. I think there's one location that helps you essentially heal like that, or you just have to suck it up and you have less less cards you have to play suboptimally, but then you you try and find a way to still win. And that's that's how the game can be more challenging. Uh, I, I think that the way that they do damage is more interesting, really, than, hey, you take one point of damage. Whoop-de-doo. <laughs> no, right. instead, I'm actually going to lose a card. And so you get to decide what card it is that you're going to lose and put on the bottom of your deck. So there's a decision point right there. And and doing that, you might go, oh, you know what? We don't need move for the next couple of rounds anyways. I'll throw that down to the bottom of my deck. I'll get it later. Uh, or, oh my gosh, I need all of these cards. If I'm going to lose this one, we're not going to win the game. I, I I think it's actually a cool mechanic. I think it's better than just simply taking just points of damage and then being killed if you take too much damage. No, instead, you're you're getting less actions. I like that. What, what do you think, Steve? I really like the damage mechanic in this game for sure. Like It makes it very interesting that... Yeah, it's just one card. You don't feel like it's going to be a big factor, but it really is because you. It's so hard to find that right card that's going to help both you and the next player that goes. And the less cards in your hand, the more chance that that's going to happen. Where there's going to be an issue where now, well, I have to play this move because I have to move. I can't do anything with it. And my next person goes like, "Well, I don't. I can't use the move." So, well, now we're being suboptimal, and now we're great chance of losing the game. The only thing I'm not sure about is playing suboptimally will lead to more damage taking more damage in the future. I don't think that's really true for my experience of the game because generally when you take damage in the game, it's due to the villain moving around and landing on your location or there are certain uh, threat cards that would do damage. So if you're on a location with a threat card that can do damage, you, you know it's you know about it. It's expected. You can potentially move out off that or you can stay on there if you want to risk it, for example. But the villain moving around the board, you generally don't know what that is. And so, honestly, it's going to be kind of random if they're going to land on your space and, and do you that damage. So having less card in my hand, being able to play suboptimally, doesn't really affect me a, a ton in in the ability to mitigate that damage. I totally agree. The cards in your hand aren't going to help you mitigate damage. What's going to help you mitigate damage is simply knowing how the villain and the threats work and trying to mitigate those abilities as much as possible by either avoiding those locations or by simply getting lucky because the, how the villain moves is random. And and so that you could put that almost as a negative that you can't really mitigate the villain because you don't know what the villain's going to do. But I kind of think that's thematic. You don't know exactly what Red Skull's going to do. All of a sudden he might come to your location and bam all of you. <laughs> You know, and and so one way you can try and mitigate that is keep people spread out so that all of the heroes are not in the same location. Because if they're all in the same location, uh, if he does happen to get there, you're all going to take damage. You know, so right. there's there's different uh, different things. Or you could also try and all be in the same location, hoping that every other location he goes to, then he won't hit anybody. So you know, there's ways that you can mitigate it. Uh, it it's just going to be a little bit random on the villain side. The threat side, it's much more manageable because. You see what those threats are. You can make the determination if you're going to take that risk or not. I think it ties into Jan's question, which was how much randomness control is there? And there's not a whole lot, honestly, which I agree with you. I think the main way of doing it, I found, is Black Widow. Black Widow has oh, a yeah. card called Interrogation, yeah. and she can see the next uh, villain card and potentially put it at the bottom of the deck. And so you either know what's coming up or you can avoid something really bad in that situation. 
I almost always leave it face up. I don't know about you, but just knowing what the villain's going to do is so powerful. (laughs) Even if it's not great, if you know what it is, especially if you know, let's say you have her play first right after the villain has gone and you've got three turns to then deal with what that future thing is going to be, super helpful. Uh, so I, I, I definitely agree that Black Widow, and that's really fun and so thematic, really, for her, her ability, too. That's her, you know, using her spy abilities to figure out what the villain's going to do. Love it. For sure. Yeah, there have been times where I've had to put that on bottom because that car was going to make me lose the game. Oh, so it, it, <laughs> okay, it saved my bacon before. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's the main way of mitigating it. And honestly, it comes down to from the randomness control is the card counting aspect. I, after playing this game enough, I know about how many, how much attack and how much heroic actions are in each hero deck, and I, I know what type of effects the villain will do. For example, I know for Taskmaster, he's got certain cards where you don't want to have a hero in, in his spot, and other cards which you do want to have a hero in the spot. And so, if you're able to count on which ones have come up, which ones haven't come up, then you can play play change a strategy to to play most beneficial to you as a player. Now, something we haven't talked about, and I'm kind of curious on your thoughts, Steve, so I'm just going to bring it up here. Have you felt that the way that the villain accelerates with that first mission being where you complete your first mission and all of a sudden they're activating two times around to when you complete your second mission to where you have you now can attack the villain? Do you find that you're able to manipulate that enough where you're able to complete two missions very closely together? So then that way you spread out the villain's activations as long as possible. And then all of a sudden, boom, boom, you got two missions done and you just hit them and kill them. Because I wonder if that's the other reason why I have felt like games have been a little bit easier for me is because we have always prioritized over almost anything else of not completing that first mission until we have two missions that are just about done so that we can complete both missions almost simultaneously. And then once you complete those two missions, he's vulnerable and you get somebody in his spot, boom, dead. And then he hardly has had any two activations. I'm just, I'm just curious. Uh, yes and no. Yes. In the sense, if I'm playing on easy level with those wilds, those wilds are huge in this game. I say that because the wild is exactly what you want at all times. That's the, honestly, the definition of a wild, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and playing without those wilds, now I have to play icons that I may not be able to use all of them, but I but I know from a math standpoint that I need to kill enough of these thugs, or I need to rescue enough of these civilians, or I need to clear enough of these threats where I need to use those icons when they're available to me. I can't let them sit. And so that forces me to clear some of those missions when I don't want to, because I completely agree with you. If you can at all control it, you want to have the first mission and second mission clear at about the same time. But at those higher difficulty levels, when you don't have those wilds, I found a lot of times where I honestly can't afford that. I have to I have to manage the situation because the other thing we haven't talked about is if you need to add thugs or civilians to a location, there's an overflow trigger, and this is different for each each villain, but it basically accelerates them to a a loss for the heroes, and so you really need to avoid that from happening. Which case it forces you to Get rid of those civilians and thugs, which forces you to complete missions. So it's it's this weird, like, intertangled web that on easy level, because I wilds, I'm not wasting icons. On the harder levels, I have to use those icons. So, Well, unless you have Hulk and you kill civilians, then you don't actually put them <laughs> on the mission track. I'm just saying, I think I think Hulk, Hulk is overpowered, really. I mean, he's the most powerful guy because he can just... 
He can take care of those civilians, but you don't have to put them on your mission card. And that's super helpful on almost all of the different villains. If you don't want to complete two uh, or you, you complete one specific mission and then have a space of time before you complete your second one. Uh, it, it's super helpful because it allows you to clear those locations. It clears that entire location of all of those thugs and civilians, as long as they don't have plus one health or something. Uh, and they don't go onto the mission board. So that means that you don't accidentally or have to complete a mission that you don't want to. So I'm not really being serious. He's not overpowered. But I just I love that, <laughs> that you have different uh, different heroes that can do those different things, right? So you have different ways that you can you can take care of those civilians. That isn't just rescuing them because, come on, that's boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're right. And if that's true if you are already clearing the, the thug mission, for example. Yep. But if you don't want to clear the thug mission, then now a whole mm-hmm. is really bad, right? Because he's <laughs> going to kill the thug no matter what. Well, right. You just always want to clear the thug mission. I mean, come on, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> the thugs stink. <laughs> Civilians just get in the way. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a terrible hero. I'm a terrible hero, Steve. <laughs> uh, one of the other questions we got from Eric Demers. Does a theme come through and our actions feel a bit in character? Yes. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm sorry I jumped in on that one, but definitely I feel like they, you know, having Wasp having being becoming invulnerable. I think they also have that for uh, Ant Man. Totally makes sense, yes. right? Because they can get really small. You've got Captain Marvel. All of a sudden, she can attack range. I think she's the only hero that can attack range. You've got Correct. Captain America. He's got heroic, which is totally makes sense because he's not going to be killing civilians. He's going to be saving every single one of them. You've got Hulk, who doesn't care if they're civilians or not. He's going to Hulk smash and even hurt heroes in their own location that's with him if he does his Hulk smash. Uh, I, I feel like they did a great job with having the cards for your heroes match what you would expect for that player, uh, for that character. Uh, for the villains as well, it's always a challenge, right? You're you're using some sort of abstract, uh, okay, I'm increasing threat for Red Skull, or I'm putting these random crisis tokens out for Taskmaster, or for Ultron, he's just loading it up with tons of civilians and thugs. Doesn't really make thematic sense, but but the the threats do. The threats that are out on those locations that you have to have to try and deal with definitely feel thematic as well. So I would say overall, I definitely get the feeling of Marvel when I'm playing the game. I definitely feel like I'm a superhero because I'm super powerful, can do a ton of different things. But I also feel like the villains are scheming and, and moving around and, and causing and wreaking havoc in a, in a very Marvelish way. What do you think, Steve? No, I, I agree. I think... I would have liked even more theme, honestly. But for what they have, I think they did a really good job. Like the, I, I think the, even the villains do feel thematic because, like Ultron, he's laying about a bunch of thugs, and thematically, this is supposed to be his drone army, right? Mm-hmm. It's just more yeah. of his his robots coming out, so it, it makes sense there. And like uh, Red Skull, he has uh, cards as like Hail Hydra, so now all these civilians in spaces with with heroes now leave the board and do damage there, right? Because yeah, by right. the way, that's they were right. agents, secret agents. Like that's that's pretty cool, like. And Taskmaster, like you mentioned, he's got traps all over the place because that's, I mean, that's what he does. And and he's laying down all these crises. So now now he's trying to uh, delay or distract the heroes from dealing with him by having them run all over the place and, and run to his traps. So I, I think the theme is definitely there. I don't think it's super, super strong. Like, honestly, Marvel Champion is going to be way better in the theme category for sure. But I did think for what they're trying to do here, they did a good job with it. Would you say... So the one advantage I think this game has over something like Legendary, Marvel Legendary, is that you're one hero. 
and you do feel like one hero with Marvel Legendary, your collection of random heroes as your deck grows. Do you feel like from a theme perspective, this game has more theme than Legendary uh, Marvel or no? I think so. But when you're playing with one player, it that you're playing with three heroes in that state. So it depends on what how you're playing the game, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and I can see that. I mean, I mean, solo mode is a variant, so that's their basic mode of play, which you can play even solo. You can just play Correct. multiple characters solo. Correct. That's that's what I did initially. Uh, it, I still think potentially could be more seen as thematic than Marvel Legendary, just because you are that one hero, and that's kind of what Marvel Champions does so well. Is you're that Correct. one hero, and you're. And yeah, you've got a couple allies. They don't last long. You've got supports and upgrades <laughs> for yourself and all of that. Of course, unless you're Steve, then they stay forever because you just keep healing them. But that's a different story. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I would definitely, I feel like this game actually really exudes the theme well. I don't feel like it needs more. I feel like they did a solid job of thinking, okay, what would Red Skull do? What would what would Hulk do? <laughs> he would smash everything. What what would a Black Widow do? Oh yeah, she'd figure out what the what the villain's gonna do. Yeah, I I feel like they did a good job, to, you know, making those thematic ties. So that's a wrap for Marvel United. A couple other topics I want to mention real quick, and that we have created a Discord channel that's getting quite a bit of activity out there. We also have a Slack so that's still open, so feel free to join either one. But just to let our listeners know that Discord is probably the center of activity lately, so feel free to join over there. And talk to us in that community. And I'd just like to say a huge shout out to Steve. He's spent a lot of time on Discord and it is phenomenally set up. And I uh, just want to say thanks to him because it's allowing our community to even more effectively communicate together. So that's great. So thanks, Steve. Yeah, you guys are welcome. And it's the constant change as we're trying to tweak and refine it to make sure it fits the community needs. The, speaking of community, we've been very fortunate with One Stop Co-op Shop to keep growing and have so many listeners and fans and we've been talking about it amongst ourselves and I think we want to try to give back. It's about time we did that. So in the month of October and probably into November, we're going to do something called extra life. Extra life is completely optional. It's just a fundraising campaign to raise money for children hospitals. And so if you're familiar with something like really for life, it is basically the same thing, but for games for gamers. And so we're going to be launching a campaign page, a web page, in which you can come and donate. And based upon our funding levels, we'll be playing different games and streaming them to our listeners of yours live. So if you're in a position where you're able to contribute to a donation for children's hospitals, we would love to have you there. So be on the lookout for more information on that. That's going to conclude our episode. I want to thank Colin for joining me. Thanks again, Steve. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, listeners, for tuning in. We'll see you at the next stop. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to join in our discussion, join us on Discord, where you can join us live through chats or play games with us. You can also support us at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week with another top five list.